All-Star Weekend is upon us. And uh, just in a few minutes, we're going to have the All-Star of All-Stars. Coming off of first first All-Star appearance, like first All-Star of the week. And then you got, you know, the fact that he's going to his second All-Star game. And he's, of course, beating out Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid for the points lead in the NHL right now. Jonathan Huberto is going to join us in a few minutes. Alan, I know... Um, I know you've worked with him for a long, long time. He's been in Florida for a decade now, which is crazy to think. Yep. Uh, you must be so immensely proud. Well, I am. And, you know, we started working together when he was uh, 16 years of age. And uh, I was there when uh, he uh, won the Memorial Cup and was named MVP. And I was there when he played his first NHL game. Uh, being a part of, you know, his journey with him and his incredible extended family who are also incredibly close with each other, you know, has been such a privilege. One of the great privileges of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we're all off to Vegas tomorrow for uh, another all-star experience where we're all going to endeavor to try to behave ourselves. So uh, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey so far and, you know, he's still young. He's having an incredible season. And uh, he's a viable candidate for uh, the heart for NHL MVP. He's the NHL leader in points, as you mentioned. And uh, we still got ha almost half a season to go. It's pretty cool. It's very, very cool. Um, Alan, there's a couple of things we want to talk about first, though. I think uh, the first one is a trend that you're seeing around the league. And, and when I say you, I mean everybody. Um, the trend is having players step in and... I guess I, I form advisory committees on who is going to be the next general manager of their team. So in, in Anaheim right now, in case uh, if you're listening to this and you're unaware, you've got Paul Correa uh, and you've got Scott Niedermeyer, both great leaders of the Ducks organization from the past, right. uh, stepping in. And then in uh, in Chicago, it's, um, I believe, and I've got Hosa, uh, Patrick Sharp, and Eddie Oldchuk. And I, I, I'm curious about how this strikes you, Alan, because, I mean, in 25 years, you've seen a lot of changes in the game. I don't know if we've ever quite seen this. Um, not really. Uh, you know, in Montreal, you would see someone of the stature of a Bob Gainey mm. with years and years experience or Sir Savard, um, you know, a legend as a hockey player, a Hall of Famer and longtime general manager of the Montreal Canadiens being brought in to consult on a GM search. Uh, as part of a committee. Um, but it, it strikes me that uh, right now we have uh, two open GM jobs and uh, both teams, with all due respect to these incredible players, Hall of Famers, um, they've never worked in an NHL front office. They've never handled trade deadline. They've never handled free agency. They've never been responsible for managing uh, a scouting staff, processing analytics, um, how to use analytics properly, um, making personnel decisions, evaluating talent at every level, uh, pro talent across the American Hockey League, East Coast League, amateur talent, both in North America and Europe. And owners seem to be turning to these people for um advice on who should be the next GM to sit in that big chair going forward. Mm. And uh, yes, great hockey players, legends, hall of famers, all of that, but without having any specific experience in what the job entails, what a general manager does and what qualities are needed for the person to sit in that chair it does strike me as a little odd um, and, uh, and, and almost counterintuitive to be relying on people to, to make decisions and, and render advice on, you know, the, the candidates for each position are, are kind of known within the media and have been spoken about already. Um, unless you've managed caps and, uh, and handled a team at least in uh, an assistant GM role 
where you've been in the front office and and having major responsibilities in a front office, how are you the person qualified to make judgments on various candidates vying for that open seat? Mm. And and that really is what I find I find it fascinating, and um, and and almost uh, uh, you, you know I'm sitting here as an agent. I'm not looking to criticize how other people or teams are doing their job. I just find it a little odd. Okay, now for. For the 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 crowd, and it's it's more numerous, I think, than the NHL would like to admit. That is asking for uh, uh, new blood, uh, specifically new voices, different backgrounds. Um, you know, uh, we've you know we finally have you know uh, female assistant general managers and, and and that those types of roles. Yep. Could these advisory committees open ourselves up to? Because the criticism, Alan, is. Uh, thus far against uh, against NHL GMs is it's like there's 40 of them and there's 32 jobs and they play mu- musical chairs. And so I don't know if this is the way to get new blood in, but maybe that maybe that kind of segues. The, the game clearly does from time to time need new voices. I think right now is another time. What's the best way to go about doing that? Well, I think you need to cast a, a really wide net and look at uh, a whole host of different um uh, people beyond just uh, uh, constantly seeing certain individuals get recycled from one organization to the next. You know, I think there there needs to be, we talk a lot about diversity mm-hmm. uh, in uh, front offices. Uh, I think it's time for uh, a Black person to be named general manager. And, and uh, I'm, I'm a little sad that that hasn't happened yet, or a president of a team. Um, there needs to be more uh, effort made to uh, recruit and 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 look at people from different backgrounds, whether they played the game or didn't play the game. Um, I think it's awesome that Vancouver has gone and named a, a European uh, as a general manager mm-hmm. and a... Uh, and a, a woman as an assistant general manager, uh, bravo to Jim Rutherford and uh, ownership in Vancouver for uh, doing that. And, and I think that, um, you know, there are a lot of people working in the analytics field uh, who have a tremendous understanding of the game. Uh, I believe in analytics. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that it's the end all be all, but I believe it's a very useful tool and that the teams that seem to understand best how to use analytics, that it's not the holy grail, but it does give you great insight into making your decisions. Um, and a combination of analytics with eyeballs and, and other things as well. Um, maybe we're going to see uh, viable GM candidates coming out of the analytics field down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, as another avenue open that maybe hasn't been open so far. I mean, just think, you know, five, six years ago, no teams had analytics departments, mm-hmm. let alone yeah. an analytics consultant. Yep. And now every single team in the NHL has multiple people working in a analytics department uh, and, uh, and, and try to get information from a team on how they use analytics, where they get their data from, how they process that data, it's like a state secret. Uh, yeah. You ever want to see somebody working with the team clam up and not answer a question? <laughs> ask them that. All right. Uh, so, I yeah. mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how all of that comes, comes into play. Um, but I think, I think doors are being opened. You see little cracks happening and you see uh, opportunities. Uh, you hear about different people interviewing for open positions, and I think we're starting to trend in the right direction. Another story that came out this week that you uh, were tweeting about, and I think, um, and I think, uh, obviously, anybody that knows anything about you and follows you on Twitter, Alan, uh, knows that um, this is something that's really important to you. Um, former Canadian star Ralph Backstrom. 17-year NHL career, over 600 points, and another 280, I believe, in the WHA as well. So pretty prolific career. Yep. Uh, he had CTE 
This is a Montreal Canadian star who unfortunately sometimes gets forgotten about with some of the names that they had thrown around, but he was a major player on these teams. Yeah. And he had CTE, and it's obviously something that you're very passionate about. The NHL stance on it, though, really bothers you. Yeah, I, I mean, Gary Bettman has said repeatedly that um, the uh, science is not at the point where uh, you can uh, make an association between repetitive blows to the head and CTE. And uh, that's just not true. The NFL, the CDC, the U.S. military, and a whole host of other organizations have acknowledged the link. And the link is not concussions per se. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes gets lost in, you know, there was a movie concussion um, and there was a book that was uh, very well known uh, by the same name. But it really has to do with subconcussive blows to the head, repetitive subconcussive blows in any typical NHL game, in any typical NHL season. Players are being jolted, players are being body checked, and their brains are banging against the inside of their skull when that happens, not rising to the level of a concussion. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we look at players uh, and we say, well, he had 12 concussions in his career. That's a lot, right? Yeah. 15 concussions in their career. That's a lot. But really what the science is, is lending itself to right now is that it's not necessarily how many concussions you've had. But how many blows to the head, uh, how many jolts and jarring motions against boards and with other players, repetitive, subconcussive. And if you start adding that up over a player's career, we get thousands of impacts, thousands. So where is the science today that Gary denies 315 plus former NFL players have been found to have CTE and 13 out of 14 NHL players have been found to have CTE. So in the NHL, we're at about 98%. How do we find CTE in, in, in a situation? Um, all of these people have donated their brains to organizations like uh, the Concussion Legacy Foundation at Boston University. Um, On the medical side, uh, one of the foremost CTE experts in the world is Dr. Anne McKee. And they receive a brain and they dissect a brain of somebody who's passed away, obviously. And they're able now to determine between four levels of severity Uh, how much CTE exists in the brain. And Ralph Backstrom was type three, which is severe. So he had severe, he had a severe case of CTE. We are not at the point yet medically where where there is a diagnostic test uh, for anybody to determine whether they have uh, CTE existing in their brain right now. But we are getting to the point, uh, maybe within the next five years, where there will be such a diagnostic test. Um, And that's the whole purpose of the research. The research has several goals to it. Number one, um, determine who has CTE and what the cause of it is. Right. Mm -hmm. And then be able to develop a diagnostic tool to let us know how we can determine um, who has CTE in the living Mm -hmm. and then ultimately come up with prevention and treatment uh, for CTE for people um, who are living. And and so it's that whole process. The first part of that process is for Gary Bettman, and it rests with him to acknowledge that there absolutely is an association between these repetitive blows to the head, 
and CTE. What is CTE? Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a degenerative brain disease, uh, very similar to Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. um, uh, where uh, people suffering from it have uh, memory issues, uh, anger, depression, uh, ultimately, slowly over time, uh, these people lose their minds. Their brains are degenerating to nothing. And it's a horrible fate that um, awaits many players who played the game from the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Um, And right now, the NHL is not participating in any research. So Gary Bettman is saying, we need more research. We're Mm -hmm. not... There's no medical certainty out there right now, uh, which is a euphemism he uses. There's no medical certainty uh, that uh, there's an association between uh, hockey and CTE. Um, That would be ignoring the 13 out of 14 uh, cases that exist right now and ignoring the 315 uh, uh, cases of CTE uh, found in the NFL. We'd be ignoring the NFL clearly stating the association between blows to the head, playing football and CTE. The U.S. military, according to Gary Bettman, is wrong. The CDC is wrong, but but he's right. Oh, and only him, because literally he's the last man standing on this absurd, uh, absurd position that he's chosen to to stick with um, in the face of all the new studies and all the mounting evidence uh, scientifically, medically that, it, that exists out there. And it's something that uh, is very near and dear to me. Mm-hmm. You know, Bet- Gary Bettman says that the NHL is a quote unquote open book and that it's, it's an NHL family and the family and all the implications of being part of the NHL family. Well, more and more we are hearing stories over the years of players um, who had long careers. Ralph Backstrom was not an enforcer. He was not a fighter. He was a skilled hockey player, which Mm -hmm. makes this finding so unique. And I think it's critical for people to understand what CTE is, where it comes from, how you can acquire it, and, and then commit to research more NHL players uh, committing now uh, to donating their brains uh, uh, when they, when they move on, when they pass on so that there can be more studies and more research all geared towards one thing, prevention and treatment. And the beginning of all that begins with Gary Bettman admitting what we all know to be true. What Chris Nowinski, the, founder and head of the Concussion Legacy Foundation says is an absurd position to take. Uh, so it's, it's time. The time is now. The time was really several years ago. Mm-hmm. Ken Dryden wrote his incredible book, uh, Game Change, uh, about the life and times of Steve Monitor. And Ken Dryden said at the time, I wrote this book um, for an audience of one. He wrote the book specifically to Gary Bett, he was yeah. talking to one person, his audience of one. And um, he met with Gary. He presented Gary with the book and, uh, and hasn't heard from him since. Oh. So this is something that needs to be addressed. Um, it needs to be spoken about. And, uh, and, and I'm happy to have a, a, an audience and a forum to be able to do that right now. Is your hope that the NHL eventually not only admits the link, but donates money to research? Is that the ultimate goal here or the hope? 100%. And I would add something to that. And that is doing right by the players who played the game that were never told uh, or advised at the time that they played that there was something like CTE that could impact their entire life off the ice uh, in retirement And let's also uh, create a process 
uh, programs uh, money to pay their medical expenses, people who are suffering from symptoms uh, that resemble CTE, work with them off the ice, be there for them. You want to talk about being part of the NHL family? That's where it starts, right there. And with that, Alan, we're going to bring on Jonathan Huberto. Welcome to another episode of Agent Provocateur. I'm Alan Walsh with Adam Wild. We're here today with our special guest, hailing from St. Jerome, Quebec, a Quebec League champion, Memorial Cup champion, the MVP of the Memorial Cup, the third overall pick of the 2011 NHL draft, the winner of the Calder Trophy, NHL Rookie of the Year in 2013, NHL All-Rookie Team, a two-time NHL All-Star after this weekend, currently leading the NHL in points. Let's welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Huberto. <laughs> Thank you, guys. And Should have had a doo yeah. <laughs> and with the world's nicest backyard in the background, we have to say that that Florida sunshine looks awfully nice today. It's nice. Yeah, I'm going to get some sun. I'm probably going to be sunburned after. OK. <laughs> <laughs> so now, uh, Joe, uh, and, and I've always called you Joe pretty much since uh, I met you and most of your uh, family and close friends do. Why don't we talk a little bit about your experience playing minor hockey in St. Jerome? Just uh, brings back a lot of good memories there. I mean, uh, I think, you know, I'm from uh, not a biggest city, I feel like Quebec, and it's just like a small city. I feel everybody kind of known each other back there. I had the chance to go to school. My hometown played hockey too while going to school. And uh, every time I go back there, I feel it's just like, you know, just had some some good times. And I didn't really play like the highest level that I would play with other cities. So I played for my hometown, my whole like young, I guess, uh, my childhood. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just like, I like to give back to my community here in St. Jerome. I go back there in the summer and kind of have the chance to uh, enjoy it with my friends. And I still got like friends that I played like when I was younger and I still, you know, keep touch with, with them, which is fun. Uh, now you left home at, at around 16 years of age to go play junior hockey in the Quebec league with St. John. What was that like leaving St. Jerome? And it's a story of many young hockey players leaving home at that age, going to play junior hockey, living with billets. What was that experience like for you? Hey, it was, it wasn't easy. I would say, cause obviously, I mean, you can tell with my accent, I didn't really know English at, at that time when I was 16. So actually didn't know like I knew a couple of words because in Quebec we learn English but not that much so it was uh def- definitely a challenge to go there and having a billet but I think this is the best thing that happened to me to have the chance to obviously learn the, the language and you know living with a family that only spoke English and uh, obviously like the team we had a really good team so it was just easy to go play hockey every day and kind of, you know, the guys there were really nice and kind of welcome you and help me through throughout the years. And that's that's how I kind of learned how to be more responsible to when, you, you know, you, you leave home. And it was just a great time in a great city. Now, you're one of the very few people that I know that had an opportunity to be coached uh, by the same people in junior hockey uh, as when you were a young player in the NHL. So in St. John, when when you guys won the uh, Quebec league championship and the Memorial cup, you were coached by Gerard Gallant and assistant coach, Mike Kelly. And, uh, and here you are playing with the Florida Panthers a few years later, and they're coaching you in Florida. What was that like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, actually it was a great timing for me <laughs> because as you know, my, my second year wasn't, uh, wasn't my best year, and uh, obviously I had a good first year, second year kind of second year slump, I guess, and um, kind of the third year. That's when Gerard came came in, and kind of obviously I was really happy because you know we had a great success in junior, and he knew what I was capable of, 
And I think he just gave me the chance, you know, in, in the NHL. And I kind of, you know, obviously that year too, it took me like 24 games, I think, to score my first goal. Mm. And I was like, oh, am I, am I going to be good enough? <laughs> am I, am, am I, am I going to be good? Like, you know, you have a good first year and after you're like, like, am I a good player? So a lot of questions come to mind, but things just helped me, him and Mike, obviously great coaches, great person. Uh, when they don't co coach me, you know, they're, they're great friends. And um, obviously they beat us. Uh, they just beat us uh, the other night. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't like them anymore. <laughs> Jonathan, when you're that young and you come in and you're the rookie of the year, right? You, gotta, you, you get a trophy right away. And then you follow it up and you have a tough season. What, what, you know, for, for any future NHL rookie that hears this and goes through the same thing, what do you tell yourself? How do you grind your way through that? What's, do you remember the moment where you're like, okay, I, I got my confidence back? Yeah. I mean, I think that year, uh, like I said, it took me like 24 years, that third year at 24 games to score my first goal, but I still like finished with, I think 20 that year. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, you kind of—it's all about confidence, and it's a lot of mental. I think in hockey, and we have a chance to have like psychologists, you know, sports psychologists in our in our team. And obviously, it's—I think it's not a bad thing to, to use them and kind of give you some tips. And I think that third year, that kind of that guy Derek Anderson, his name is, and really helped me. And uh, I think that that's what it is. I feel like. You know, I don't want to put excuses, but after my first year, obviously I had a hip surgery, so that didn't help too coming back. Uh, you know, I think uh, last second year, I kind of still felt it. Like, you know, the, the hip, I wasn't at my 100%, I would say. And uh, But after that, kind of came back, and then the, 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 the confidence when it comes. I mean, I know I can be a really good player when the confidence is there. Yeah, now you have a long history with Fort Lauderdale. Uh I was uh, sitting with your uh, dad uh, very early on in, in your draft year, and uh, he was telling me about your Christmas break va vacations in Fort Lauderdale. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, that's a, kind of a crazy story. I feel like, I don't know, I, I've been here for 10 years playing uh, in Florida, and uh, let's go back. Like Since I'm a baby, we used to – so my parents used to – my, buy, my 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 dad like sells like cars so he used to buy an RV every christmas or november around and he would pick us up from school and then we would drive to fort lauderdale from like so it would take i don't know 24 hours and my dad his goal was he was driving we would leave at like four o'clock that day <laughs> and then the next night at 10 30 he would have to get to daytona beach Guess where, Alan? At Hooters. At Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he needed his beer, his Bud Light, and fifty hot wings. That was his. That was his goal, 50. and that's when he made it. I mean, we were helping, obviously. Oh, we're, okay, all right. Young, right. But I, that's when I was a little, little older. I was able to go there, enjoy the scenery, <laughs> and uh, obviously. So that, that was it. And we spent like three weeks. Like the thing we would do, I'm like, now thinking about it, I'm like, would you, we used to shower on the beach. I got like six o'clock, like bring shampoo, shower, <laughs> shower on the beach. Cause the RV, there's like, we wouldn't stay at a campground or anything. We'd like sleep in like Walmart and stuff like that. And so there wasn't a lot of water. So only the girls could shower in the, in the RV. That was the rule. And then we'd just shower on the beach. Sometimes it would be like really cold. We'd like bike there, come back. And that was kind of like <laughs> crazy experience. I mean, I have so many stories. Like we use at night to go rollerblading. Um, like even now like, we go play pickleball and there's the hockey rink. And I used to rollerblade there since I was a kid. And all these memories kind of crazy because now I play here. I got drafted here. I mean, how many teams you can get drafted to? And it happened to be Florida. And, you know, now I have a house here. It's much better than an RV, I guess. Living here. <laughs> and, and, and you don't have to shower on the beach anymore. <laughs> no, which is good. But that's what I'm thinking. I go to the beach. So I'm like, if I would see someone like bring shampoo and shower, I would think they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what's really what's really interesting is that you guys, your whole family used to play hockey out on the outside in Fort Lauderdale as you were a kid growing up. 
yeah i mean uh, this is like we would like be like five or six rvs so like a lot of we're a lot of people the same age and obviously my brother plays hockey so everybody would uh, would play i think uh, you know obviously me and my brother was kind of the best like player out there and kind of and uh, we're just having fun though every night it was just like a blast and everybody was just like enjoying himself and that was kind of memories like i would go back to this time and any day that was just like so fun and every day I would go to a beach or, or do something and my dad would drive the rv somewhere go park and then we just enjoy the day and it was kind of never got sick of it and obviously december 29th you would go see montreal against uh, uh, florida and then obviously i would cheer for montreal we do like like um board and stuff like that we had and trying to be on tv and um <laughs> and now it's funny because like now when we play we play montreal like uh, now obviously the people around me they, they have to cheer for for us but uh, that's like i get like 100 tickets a, a year every time we play them and it's like uh, it's just a special night with my sister singing the national anthem to every time so it's, it's pretty pretty fun that's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah, uh, there's I- a there's a moment uh joe uh that I will never forget. And it's always ingrained in my memory. And, and that is the night before your first NHL game. So I came to uh, Fort Lauderdale and uh, we all went out for a huge dinner. You had a, all your family there. You had uncles and, uh, and uh, brother and sister. And uh, there are probably 15 to 20 people out there for dinner. And after dinner, your parents had brought uh, the camper down, had an RV at a campsite. And we all went back there and we sat around on chairs and we just talked and laughed and told stories. And, you know, it gets to around 10 p.m. And, uh, and, and everyone's saying goodbye and you're going to go back to the hotel because you were staying at the hotel at the time, the night before your first NHL game. And you were standing with your father and your father gave you a hug and he had tears in his eyes and he was looking at his son and he had such pride uh, on his face, the look on his face. And he was saying goodbye to you. And the next time he would see you would be you on the ice playing your first NHL game. Um, it was an incredible moment. I, I felt privileged to be there to see that, but it was a very emotional, touching moment where, you know, you go through your day-to-day life and these very important moments sometimes can get lost. And it was a moment where I stood there and watched the two of you together and I felt the love and, and, and the pride that existed between you and your whole family, but also with your dad and it was a real incredible moment. I think the like you're you're so right. I mean, you're trying to get me emotional. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, trying to hold it in myself, but I uh, know it's like obviously it's uh, these moments are just precious. I feel and it's like, and you've been around my family. Like I'm lucky to have a a close close family and. You know, we, we all love each other and we'll do anything for each other. And I've been lucky to have the support, you know, from all my family, my brother, sister, everybody. And I think, uh, obviously, I'm I'm lucky for that. It's not everyone that had the chance to, to have that. But it's uh, I just appreciate every moment. And I know we all love each other. And uh, these moments is just something that you kind of never forget. I, w- I want to ask you guys this. I want to ask Alan, I want to know how you got to know Jonathan Huberto. When were you first introduced? Do you remember that story? And and then Jonathan, I'm going to ask you a question to follow this up. So uh, Alan, your first encounter with Jonathan Huberto. I think it was at a Houston's in Chamity Laval, okay. which is the town where I was born and raised in Montreal um, near uh, Carrefour Laval. There was a, there's a Houston's there and uh, uh, Joe had just played his first year in the Quebec league. And uh, we had a, a meeting um, with Norm Conway, who I've spoken about before on the podcast, who uh, 
has been working real closely with, with us for 24, 25 years, an incredible, incredible human being and a great scout and great, uh, great hockey eye and just a wonderful person. Um, and uh, it was with uh, Joe and his father and Norm and me, uh, and we met at the Houston's for lunch um, sometime in uh, June after his for your first season in in the Quebec League in St. John. And Jonathan, what do you remember about your first uh, about your first encounter with Alan Walsh? Yeah, I was like, oh boy. I'm going to have to deal with him for, for a lot of years. <laughs> when we talked to Marc-Andre Fleury, he said, boy, this guy's French sucks. How, how do you rate Alan's French? Uh, it sucks. <laughs> no, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell he's from Montreal. But uh, no, no, but uh, Alan's just, uh, obviously every time we're together, it's just uh, a good time obviously when we met the first time like you know i didn't really know alan and i knew norm a little bit more because like we, we've talked more and uh obviously it was before i get you know when you start getting drafted that's where you jump and, and start going with uh with alan he's taking care of you and i think you know uh and just like since that day i mean it's just been i've been taken care of like alan is like treats his clients like you know like first is I think we're, you know, at the end of the day, we're friends too. And it's like, uh, it's like family, you know, and that that's what it's all about. And I think, uh, you know, you just knew from the first day, he cares about his player and uh, he'll do anything uh, to, to help them. And, you know, that's, that's why Alan's such a great agent and a great friend. Now you're trying to get me emotional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to hear you guys sort of talk about that because you know it's a it's a formative age when an agent meets a player, right? It's your your the players at a formative age, uh, and the agent sort of shepherds you through. Alan and and Jonathan, can I? Is there anything from draft day that sticks out to the two of you? Um, cause you know, Alan, I think anytime you've got a client go through that, it's pretty special. Oh, sure. And, and, and that year, uh, as an agency, uh, we represented the players drafted number one, number two, and number three, overall Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Gabriel Landeskog and, and Joe. And, uh, it was pretty much, um, understood several days before the draft that, uh, Edmonton was taking. Uh, Nuge, Colorado was taking Gabriel and Florida was taking uh, Joe. So there wasn't a lot of mystery going into the draft as to where the top three guys were going, but we spent, um, you know, three, four days together. Uh, the draft that year was in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, and we spent uh, a bunch of days together there. You know, Joe was going on interviews and doing um, press conferences and they had NHL events for the top, top ranked players in the draft. And uh, and what I remember most was the uh, night of the draft, after the draft, where uh, we all went out with uh, Joe's family. And uh, it was the first real time. There was one other time we went out after uh, or around the Memorial Cup. But uh, but this was like, wow, this is an incredible family. It's a big family. They're very close with each other, all of them. And uh, and it was a lot of fun. And over the years, whether it's uh, in Florida, for example, the first NHL game or, you know, previous all star games or just getting together in the summer, you know, it's it's that family connection that Joe always has. And they've been so kind to let me into that and to be part of it and to be able to sit around at night and drink some wine and tell some stories is always uh, very special. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, Jonathan, I think, you know, this is a pretty special week to get you on because you're going to the all-star game 
You're the NHL's first star of the week, and you are the leading scorer in the National Hockey League. And you're on a team that is battling out with a, a state rival uh, for top spot, not only in your division, but in the NHL. Can you talk about what this season has been like for you? Because after some up and down years, this must feel pretty surreal. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, it's just fun. I think Alan knows me. I mean, I love having fun. I'm kind of a laid back guy like that kind of go to the rink and have fun and try to get the guys like kind of loose it up. And, you know, I'm kind of that, that type of guy. And uh, just before the game, you know, I kind of pull around and kind of trying to get the guys to kind of relax a little bit. And uh, this year, I mean, the, the team, the, the, per, the, the team that we have and like all the person in the team, like we all love each other. And it's like, you know, you could tell like in the room, like off the ice and on the ice, and you can just know that we're going to battle for each other. And last year was kind of, it was the same thing too. Like we had a good team, man. But this year I feel it's just like, like you said, kind of surreal. Like it's just so fun to go. Obviously when you win, it makes it, it makes it much easier, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's just like, it's just nice. Obviously like we're 47 games in, but like, they're like the most fun is coming up and, you know, we're not going to be able to say it's a great year if we don't win a playoff round. So I think, you know, for me, I haven't won one. And then after that, I feel it's going to be like something that let's go. Like you never know. Let's just win one. I think we need that as the, the guys that are in Florida, like the been there for a while, like me, Barkey, Eggblad, and all these guys. I think we just need that for confidence. And after, why not go win the cup? And you know that's what we're here. And I think that's our chance. Like this year, we have we have the right group, and I think yeah, just love the guys in in, in the dressing room. That's awesome. Now this year, Joe, there's been uh, a, a coaching change fairly early in the season, uh, with Q resigning and uh, and and Bruno taking over. What what was that like to go through that transition uh, earlier in the season for you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we were, if I remember, we were like seven and zero or eight and zero or something. Yeah, still undefeated. Like that happened. Obviously, something you can't control and. You know, it's stuff that happened in life. Um, but I think, like, that's why it shows, like, your character in a room and, and the guys that are there. Because, you know, we didn't say, like, oh, that, like, is going to affect us or, like, it's going to change something. I think Bruno is a really good person, really good coach. And I think, you know, for him, he got put in that position that didn't really, like, he didn't know it was going to happen. And uh, I think he took it like the right way. And he, you know, he's a guy that can speak and great speaker and he's good to get us going. And I think the guy in the room, we just said, you know, that's, it's all about us. It's about us doing the job on the ice. And I think, you know, we were relentless and that's the type of uh, people we are. And I think that just shows because we kept winning, you know, after that. And obviously we knew we we're going <laughs> to lose one at some point, but uh, it was just like the, obviously it wasn't a, easy time i would say like you know when we heard the news and everything but uh i think we stick together and you know we, we did the job hmm. now i want to take you back uh to your first year in the nhl uh playing with uh florida uh you, you know we talked a little bit about your family uh a lot of people wouldn't know this but your first year in the nhl uh your brother sebastian a couple of years older than you came to Florida and lived with you that whole first year. Uh, tell us how that happened and what that was like. Yeah. Um, actually, my brother, like, just finished school the summer, like, before. So he was, like, and it was a reason for him to learn English, he said. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, I, you know what? I'm by myself. Um, you know, obviously, I, had the, I think it was my second year, actually. If yeah, because the first year was a lockout. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was yeah. uh, my second okay. year. Second year. I guess it did, it didn't go that well because <laughs> <laughs> that's why he never came back after. We were looking <laughs> to change it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but uh, seriously, it kind of brought us like even closer. I mean, me and my brother were like three years apart, but we're really close. But obviously, for him to come and kind of like, obviously, he's a great hockey player, and he would have loved to play in the NHL, and that was his dream. 
but he was never jealous about it and kind of always supported me into that and still now he's just a, a great brother and uh he just like decided obviously to come to florida and i was like you know i live in my first year in a condo i was like yeah why not come and you're gonna be able to help me so he called himself like he still does he called himself my bitch if i can say <laughs> that, that word <laughs> okay and, and, and he's three years older than me and when i was young he would take advantage of me so now i'm like i'm gonna take advantage of you so, <laughs> so every morning i would wake up he would go and make my bed he's actually a great like great great bitch <laughs> and, uh, he was uh he was just a guy i mean obviously he's a such a nice person and uh he would like fill the fridge up like wash my cars like do all the things that kind of didn't want to do and uh, go grocery shopping i mean he was there and i was actually i was paying him every month so it was kind of <laughs> like his his job and it's, it was kind of fun because every time i would be done practice i'll be like hey, you want to add someone to hang out and be like able to Let's say I wanted to go play golf. He was there. And it was all fun. So I think, yeah, go to dinner. He was always there. So it's kind of, he felt like that's what we're saying. He was playing in the NHL without practicing and without playing. <laughs> <laughs> same <myself. laughs> and what? without the same paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A little different paycheck, but uh, I was still giving him good money. So he, he was happy and um, everything was good. So he stayed that, that year. Obviously, when he went back, he had to. I think he tried to play hockey in France for the next year and after he started working. Wow. So, so, uh, where, where is he now? Like, where is he back in Canada or is he down near you? I know he's back in Canada. He has a kid now, so he's there, but, uh, uh, now we're talking all my family's here. So because we're going to Vegas to the all-star game. So I think there's some people in the pool right now, enjoying a nice <laughs> Corona. And, uh, <laughs> My so my brother they just uh, they got here today so it's uh, gonna enjoy moment with them but yeah all my family is back home but obviously they they come uh, for Christmas they still come I can live at my house and uh, we enjoy some some nice family time in Florida. Amazing. Any uh, any iguanas back there? Oh yeah, there's so many iguanas here in my backyard because there used to be no iguanas and now they cleaned that lot like right beside me they started building a house. And now they all came to my house and uh, it's like a running gag. And I got on Instagram, like my brother always posts something and my dad like always runs after them, like to scare them away. But I'm like, dad, there's no point. They're going to come back. Like <laughs> it doesn't matter if we scare them away. They jump in the water and still comes back. So, but my dad thinks he's doing something special. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so in reality, Jonathan Huberto is the only client that almost drowned me. Uh, you want to tell that story? Yeah, yeah, I can tell that story. That's good. That's a funny story. I still remember your face from that. <laughs> but uh, that's <laughs> and uh, that was at my cottage house and uh, at my parents' cottage back home. And so a weekend, like in the summer, we usually get together for dinner because my Alan uh, comes to Montreal like two, three weeks. I'm like, hey, Alan, why, do, why don't you come to the cottage uh, this weekend to spend a couple of days? And so we're on the boat and we're just having a good time. And we have like uh, kneeboards. Oh, and obviously yeah. I don't do kneeboards anymore. But like that time I'm like, hey, Alan, like, let's go me and you on a kneeboard. And it's pretty for me. I mean, for me, it's easy because I used to do that. Like, in the, So I think I'm like, Alan's going to be fine. Like he's going to be able to. You do that, no problem. So we we start doing some, and he's like, he keeps going, and like whenever you like, you can't get on your knees, like you like it starts like going like this, and kind of the wave. And my dad kept going faster, and Alan was like not comfortable on it <laughs> at all. And he could just stop, and he was yelling like, "Stop, stop!" But we speak French, so we're like, "You gotta speak French to say stop." Are, are. <laughs> and then, like, you could see there was like water coming in his face, and it was just like so many things, and I would, I couldn't even see his face. And I'm like, "Oh boy, this is going." So instead of letting go of the, how do you call that? Like uh, the, the rope. rope. Yeah, the rope. Yeah, I'm like. 
I, I forgot to tell them that. that that's probably <laughs> my fault. <laughs> One very important detail yeah. they didn't tell me to let go when you fall off. So he fell off and he kept like, he didn't let go. So his face in the water, <laughs> swallowing water, it full in his nose. And then at some point, I'm like, hey, Alan, maybe it's the right time to let go. So <laughs> let go. And then, like, started coughing. And, like, I was like, yeah, are you okay? So I let go with him. I'm like, make sure he was all right. And I just, like, obviously, we started laughing, laughing. And he was like, I'm going back in the boat now. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the end of your kneeboarding career, Alan? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, back then, you know, Joe and his brother and his uh, little sister, and they're all incredible on this thing. They come up on their knees and they can do tricks. And I'm like, oh, this, you know, this is going to be, this is easy. Mm-hmm. Right. So they, they, they get me in the water and I'm like, okay, I'm like, just going to get up on my knees and this is going to be like a cool little ride and everything yeah. will be great. Yeah. But I'm, but I'm listening to them. I'm like, okay, so like, how do I do this? What do I do? And they're like, okay, like when you're in the water, just like get your knees up there. Well, how? Because it wasn't working that way for me, but, but they never said, and when you fall off the board, let go of the rope right away. So I must've drank half the lake on that last one on that last run. And they're like, and his, and his dad's like, Oh, come on. It's, it'll be just do it one more time. I'm like, gentlemen, Ladies, I'm done. Get me out of here. <laughs> oh, that Amazing. was funny. That was so funny. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so, Jonathan, does that mean you water ski as well? Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> okay. At one point, you did. At, at some point in your yeah, life, you water skied. A long, long time ago. Long yeah, time ago. Long, long time ago. But yeah, I used to do a lot of I've sports in the, in the water. I like, we've been we're always at the cottage and kind of doing like kneeboard. I don't think it's dangerous because it's like that, but like surfing, mm-hmm. obviously we can like, you know, the surfing and buying a boat. I don't think that's dangerous too. It's like, you go like really slow gentle. and it's uh yeah, gentle. And it's a, uh, it's fun. I think, you know, obviously we, we like in the, at my house with my parents, just being on the water and kind of relax. And that's why I live on a lake when I'm back home. I just love it. It's more, more peaceful. And I just, I just like it. Well, the reason I ask is I hear in Florida, if you want to water ski or kneeboard in fresh water, you have to run the boat down, down and back on the, on the water uh, because you got to clear the gators out. And I just wondered at some point in your life, have you ever tried that? Because I grew up water skiing and kneeboarding too, but you couldn't pay me to do that. No, here I feel in Florida, I would be a little scared. Yeah. I mean, especially in the, Intercoastal, like close. I mean, obviously, I'm on the water, but I feel like you you don't see what's in the water. I feel in Florida, there's so many things on a lake. You know, there's only fish or, or whatever, and right. they're all scared of you. So that doesn't mean. But I mean, I feel I would go on the ocean. Like I feel you see the water, so you would see if there's a shark coming. I guess, but I don't know <laughs> if I would. I would still trust it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, Alan, I'm sorry there isn't video of you just draining the lake. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think there there, there yeah, might be out there somewhere. <laughs> be a shame if that leaked. Be a real shame. <laughs> so, Alan, be, be nice to me, and I won't uh, put the video on. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, last year, uh, well, two years ago, because there was no. Uh, uh, game uh, last, but two years ago at the uh, all-star game, Joe, uh, that was your first NHL all-star game. What was that experience like for you? Uh, it was fun. I mean, obviously your first experience is always like more special. And uh, I think, you know, you don't know what to expect because it's your, it's your first time, but I think uh, just everything like there, I mean, everybody's happy. Everybody's like having fun. And I think you meet some guys around the league too, that you don't have the chance to obviously just play against each other. And it's mostly the, like the best player. So it's like, uh, it's really fun. I think I had a, I had a blast and being with my family too. It's always fun. And, uh, being with Alan and telling his stories at dinner too, it's, uh, it's always a, a pleasure to be around. And, uh, obviously, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's just fun. And obviously, I saw Alan Tipsy for the first time. So I'll say Tipsy on the podcast. I'll, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's he like, Tipsy? Then Tipsy. Uh, 
He's uh, he's good. You just get. It was like quiet early, but then when you get him going, he gets the. He gets excited, and um, it's uh, oh, it was fun. We had a good time. I mean, obviously, usually it's more like when we go to dinner, professional, and we play the next day. So it's kind of like, but then it's like you know you can have fun and kind of enjoy yourself. So I think it was just a, a different, and I think it, we obviously we all enjoyed it and had a lot of laughs. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Joe. I uh, introduced Joe and his uh, family to. Uh, I, and I couldn't believe it, you know. Joe living, you know, on the water like that uh, had never heard of sex on the beach, and uh, <laughs> we, we, we had a few, we had a few of those that night. <laughs> just a few, though. Very just few. A few. Just yeah. a few. Yeah, just a no. few. Just a few. Nope. Nobody's ever played the All Star Game hungover. Never. <laughs> no, no, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. Again. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, uh, I, I got to ask you this. Alan, is there anything that you tell your clients going into All-Star Weekend just to give them the heads up? Like, hey, you might want to, because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of eyeballs, uh, everybody's brought their families, but it's known as like a fun kind of let loose, let some steam off weekend before the serious stuff kicks in, trade deadline, playoffs, all of that. What's, how do you, what's your preparation for a client that's going for the first time? Well, you, it, it's not really that crazy. You have an opportunity to interact with a lot of different people. There's a lot of um, NHL executives, uh, some team executives, coaches, uh, NHLPA. Uh, there's an opportunity to talk a little bit about the business of hockey. There's an opportunity to spend some great quality time with your family. I think what's most um, exciting for players is players to be around and interact with and and play with other you know top elite players around the league that they don't ever interact with on a daily basis. Hmm. So you get to meet them, get to know them a little bit, um, sometimes talk about different things that they do, rituals, um, training methods, um, just have a laugh with them. You know, go out on the ice and uh, and and see how your game will sort of mesh with theirs in a three on three atmosphere. Have fun with the skills competition. Uh, it really all star weekend is a celebration of hockey. Mm. And uh, and and if you go in with that attitude, I'm coming in and I'm going to be part of this great celebration of hockey. Have fun. But also, I think there's an opportunity, if you want it, to learn something about the business side as well. Um, you've got all the national media there. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Uh, I've, I've seen players who've gone to multiple All-Star games. When invited uh, in subsequent years, you always hear about certain players that may not want to go. Um, I think the players, and, and, and I understand if you've gone six, seven, eight times, you, you know, for certain players that that might, you might want to use that weekend to do something else. But players that, that I've worked with who, who've gone multiple times, if they're fortunate enough to get selected to go again, they're, they're really excited about it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great time. Um, and, and, and most players that, that I know, really are, are, are honored to be part of that exclusive group and uh, look at the weekend as, as, a, as a fun time, not as a chore that they have to you know, live through. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan, is there anybody that you've met there, maybe player, executive, member of the media, who you thought, well, especially a player like, oh God, this guy's so tough to play against. And you, you meet them and you go, damn it, I really like you. <laughs> No, yeah, it's the, obviously there's so many, like you play against, like, obviously, especially three on three, it's like, uh, you know, you play against McDavid, these guys, Dreisaitl, like they're such good players. And obviously it's fun to have the chance to uh, to play with, uh, you know, Edmund, I think he's such a great defenseman. And, you know, obviously we get a, a little rivalry, so it's kind of fun though to to be. And when you're there, you don't think about that. Like you're just having fun and you're like, obviously when you play against, 
Tampa, like you, there are no friends out there, but like when you get there, you get to know them. Everybody is a good person, like off the ice. And obviously, you hate some guys on the ice, but <laughs> mostly after when you meet them, like it's like because you, you you only know some people like on the ice, and you're like, oh, I hate these guys, like you know. But <laughs> after you, you you meet them, and it's like you know, obviously everybody is a good person. And when you're on the ice, you you know some people are different different person as well. So it's like yeah, obviously it's a lot of fun and. Uh, I had the chance to go my last with like Shea Weber. I mean, always been a mm -hmm. fan with him, like, you know, older guys and obviously his shot is like something else and uh, just be there and be part of that and kind of meet those guys. It was just fun. I can imagine taking passes from Victor Hedman would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good time. Yeah. Always is. Yeah. Um, I've got nothing more. <laughs> and you've been and you've been very generous with your time. And I know you've got your family there with you right now. And you got a lot of stuff to do before you leave tomorrow to Vegas. So I want to thank you for uh, coming on with us and uh, and and having some laughs and telling some stories. Uh, I guess I got one last question to ask you. Uh, you know, you're heading to Vegas tomorrow. I'm I'm coming in. Are you uh, going to be uh, experiencing any more sex on the beach? <laughs> you know, is there a, you probably know the answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going to Vegas, you're going to Vegas and Alan's going to be there. So <laughs> I guess that's a yes. That it was, sounds a, hot, it gentlemen. was a trick question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I had a blast, and uh, you know, uh, anytime you guys need me, I'll be there. Okay. Thanks. Every ep every episode, then, Jonathan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Right. See, see, you see you tomorrow. <laughs>